check out my new book, Reach All Readers at reachallreaders.com. When you pre-order, you'll get special access to my Science of Reading mini course. Learn more at reachallreaders.com. Hello, Anna Geiger here from The Measured Mom. I'm still pinching myself that Emily Hanford agreed to do a podcast interview with me. We had a wonderful conversation. Anyone listening to this podcast is familiar with Emily Hanford, but just as a refresher for anyone who's new, Emily Hanford has shared articles and podcast episodes over the last few years that have really brought the science of reading into the national conversation. And it was actually her work that led me away from balanced literacy, finally, to understanding that what I had been doing wasn't all backed in research and led me to start studying what the research really says about how reading works. And I'm so thankful to her for that. We went through a lot of things in our conversation. We talked about how she started reporting about this topic. And we also talked about the resistance that many people feel when it comes to learning about the science of reading. And I hope you'll keep those things in mind as you work to share the science of reading with your colleagues. So in the show notes, I'll be sure to share links to all of Emily Hanford's work. And with that, let's get started. Welcome, Emily. Hi, thank you for having me. So I have said many times on this podcast and on my website that it was your article, your 2019, I believe, article at a loss for words that really uh, kind of forced my way into the science of reading. It was hard for me at first, and it, did, uh, it didn't happen right away. But I came back to the article multiple times, and that led me down a path. I would love to know what got you started writing about education, because I know that wasn't your first piece. Um, how did this begin? What were you doing before that? Sure. And let me just say one thing at the start, and we can return to this, which is that I read and listened to thing, podcasts that you put together and pieces that you wrote about your experience of reading at a loss for words and listening to it. And I learned a lot from you. And I, I feel like you have been um, very good at articulating the experience of being a balanced literacy teacher and coming to understand some of the stuff. So I've read your blog posts many times too. And so I really appreciate what you've contributed to this whole conversation. So I'm really glad to be here with you on the podcast. Well, thank you. That is an incredible compliment. <laughs> so your question was, how did I get started uh, reporting on education? So I was reporting on education for a long time before I got interested in reading instruction. Mm -hmm. So I started reporting on education in 2008. And I realize now as someone who's very interested in history and sort of how things happen and where ideas come from, that I was starting education reporting at an interesting time. So it was 2008. I didn't cover the reading wars or the National Reading Panel Report or the controversies around reading first. I really started as a reporter when, some, when those things were kind of coming to an end and we were moving on to balanced literacy. Mm -hmm. And I didn't think very much uh, about reading and how it works and how it was being taught. Um, First of all, I think I was one of those kids who learned to read pretty easily, and I have two kids who are pretty much adults now, and they were learning to read back around that time, and they learned to read pretty easily, so I didn't really think about it, and I, I should have. <laughs> I was a reporter. I sort of should have known more than I did, and it wasn't until a few years ago, uh, back in like 2016, 2017, I was actually reporting on student college students. And I was meeting a bunch of college students who were talking to me about how difficult reading and writing were for them. And I met this one student in particular who really talked about how she couldn't read very well at all. She really had never learned how to read. And I thought, how did that happen? Mm -hmm. And most of my reporting had really been on secondary and post-secondary education because I would say there's a couple of 
sort of themes in my reporting overall to get to your question of like, why am I interested in education more broadly? I think I was just really interested in sort of the question of how family income and poverty in particular affect people's opportunities uh, and outcomes and and the sort of role that education plays or not in sort of um, helping us provide opportunity to people, having a more equal society. That was a real interest of mine. Mm-hmm. And I think I was really interested in the cognitive science of how people learn. I didn't know that much about it, but I would dabble in it and was sort of intrigued by it. So I was always interested in those things. And then when I met all these college students who were struggling with reading and I started thinking, huh, what's up with that? Maybe I'll just wind this way back. And I started looking at this question first through the lens of dyslexia, because what I realized is that I think many of these students in college who weren't good readers, many of them sort of had dyslexia or were somewhere on that sort of spectrum of uh, reading was really difficult for them. And I, I, so it started with dyslexia. I didn't know anything about it. I started learning a lot about learning disabilities in general and dyslexia. And that, and, and it was really through that and through some of the parents that I met who had kids with dyslexia, who were, whose kids were really struggling in school and the parents were really battling with the schools. And many of them really started pointing me to this vast body of research on reading and how it works and how people learn to do it and what children need to learn. And I was just completely fascinated at an intellectual level. Like I was like, wow, this is really interesting. Just at a purely intellectual level, I want to learn more about this. Mm -hmm. But I also realized like, oh, the implications of this are huge. (laughs) There's a really big problem here in terms of quite a big divide between what is known about reading and how it works and what a lot of teachers know or think they know or don't know about reading. And that was when I just started in on this topic. And now it's been six years. And I could have never predicted that, that I'd be on the same topic six years later. So when you, um, how did you know where to go, like what to look at, where to learn? Because when I, when I first read your article, I thought, and I've said this, (laughs) oh, she's a journalist. What does she know? And then I started reading and studying. And then I went back to it. I thought, wow, she's got like, all the quotes of the things that I've been learning now. So clearly you knew what you were talking about, but how did you even know how to start? It's a good question. And I think I really benefited from a sort of maturity that the reading science, generally speaking, has gotten to at this point. So when I started getting interested in this, Mark Seidenberg had just written his book called Language at the Speed of Sight. And that was really my entry into this. I read some books by Marianne Wolfe, Mm-hmm. And it was really through Mark's book and Marianne's book, both very, um, I'm going to say accessible, but Mark's book is hard and some of Marianne's I, books are kind of hard I think, too, I actually. think they're pretty tough actually for an entry point. So that's pretty impressive. <laughs> well, so I would say that it was a great entry point for a journalist because they're full mm-hmm. of footnotes. They're full yeah. of citations to studies. And so you just, I know you know this rabbit hole where you just start following the research. And I just did that. And what, and what I realized is there are lots of, at this point, and, and there weren't as much 20 years ago. I think this is part of why what's happening now is happening now. There are really just a lot of accessible, as in you can buy them for not a huge amount of money or you don't have to buy them at all. They're available on the web. Books and articles and overviews and just things that put it all together in a way that I'm not going to say is easy, but is 
digestible. Mm -hmm. The other big article that came out right around the time when I first started getting interested in this is on the Soul to Story website. I have a reading list. Mark Seidenberg's book is on there. And so is the book that's freely available by Anne Castle's Kate Nation and Kathy Russell. which article. is from, Yeah, the article called Ending the Reading Wars from Novice yep. to Expert. And it's like 50 pages and a lot of notes. And it's dense, but it's but, just a super thorough overview of all this stuff. Yes, and, I and very readable. All the time. Very readable, very yeah. readable. And I've read that one, like I've read many of your blog posts many times. I've read that one, oh, more times than I could count. I just yeah. keep rereading it because I learn something new and I'm like, oh, wait, wait, follow that footnote next. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so. so let's go back and talk about the specific, um, I'm not sure what you would call it, podcast or publications that you did. So was Hard Words first? Actually, in 2017, I did the first piece, which was called Hard to Read. Okay. And that was the one that was specifically about dyslexia, the place okay. I had landed after meeting those college students. And that led to Hard to Read. So the, the one about dyslexia was basically, Hard to Read is basically like, why do so many kids who have dyslexia have a hard time getting the help they need in school? And what I realized, I had a big aha. I was like, oh, one of the reasons the kids with dyslexia have such a hard time getting the help they need in school is because there are a lot of people within schools who actually don't know what they need to know about reading and how it works. They don't really know about dyslexia, but more generally, they don't know just how kids learn to read and so what's going wrong when a kid is struggling to read and what they need to do about it. And of course, many times in your public schools in the United States, you are actually more likely, I found, to find real knowledge about the science of reading among the special educators, sometimes, not always, and among speech pathologists and others yeah. who are really working with kids with learning disabilities. But that led to hard words because that was when I was like, oh, there's all this research just on reading and how we all do it and what we all need to learn. And what kids with dyslexia need isn't something radically different than what all kids need. They just need more repetitions, mm -hmm. a higher dose. Um, and so, so hard word was next. And then um, that was sort of kind of the overview of the, the, what the science sort of says, what some of the big findings are, and the, the problem with teacher preparation. You know, that's been identified as a big part of the problem yeah. for a long time. And then I think at a loss for words, which came in 2019, was my aha through doing the work on uh, uh, hard words in 2018, sort of recognizing like, actually, you know, this isn't about a lack of phonics instruction only. For too long, we have been thinking about this as sort of phonics, no phonics. And as you know, balanced literacy usually does include some phonics instruction. Now we can talk about what that phonics instruction looks like, whether there's enough of a scope and sequence to it, whether it's you know deliberate and systematic enough, direct enough, whether there's enough of it. All those are good questions about a typical balanced literacy classroom. But a lot of people have recoiled to the idea balanced literacy teachers would be like, I'm not not doing phonics. I am right. doing phonics. Right. Um, so what I realized is there were these other ideas uh, that were in, the teachers were actually learning in their curriculum materials, in the intervention programs they got. And it was this idea that At A Loss for Words looks at, which is the cueing idea. Mm -hmm. um, so I sort of like, what is that? What, what are these, all these strategies that kids are being taught to read why are they being taught all those? What's the problem with those? What's the sort of scientific research that showed that that's not a good idea? Let me try to sort of explain all of that. 
I would categorize all of those projects as sort of basic explanatory journalism. This is mm-hmm. me going to schools, talking to parents, talking to kids, talking to researchers, reading a ton of research, trying to put it together and being like, hey, look, here's something everyone should know. And then I would say that Sold a Story, which came out more recently, was sort of the result of a nagging question after all of that, which is like, how and why? Like, how and why did this really happen? Let's really... (laughs) wind this back and try to follow these ideas and really try to look at, you know, sort of get the receipts. We literally did that. We filed so many records requests, like what are schools spending their money on? What's being invested in? Where are these ideas coming from? What are these ideas? What's the harm they're doing? That's really what Sold a Story was about. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you would look at it this way, but I I often look at the work you've done as kind of, um, reigniting the reading wars, like getting the big conversation uh, going, not in a negative Walmart. way, which is not, <laughs> not negative, but just getting people talking about it and seeing like, we, we've got to examine this now. When did, you know, was it when you wrote your first article? Because now, I mean, you're a household name among people who learned about the science of reading, but when did that happen and why? Which, which one struck the most chord at first? Hard words did. I mean, I think yeah. that's when I, yeah. I mean, I think that when I did that first hard to read uh, piece, I knew, oh, this is a really big topic. I was like, oh, I, I could probably do some more reporting on this for a yeah. while. And hard words, I think, sort of took it out of the world of dyslexia. Because when you're framing this stuff in terms of dyslexia, that's only some people and not an insignificant number of people, but it's still kind of a, it's still such a sort of a minority issue. And I think hard words started to resonate with many teachers who realized like, oh, wait a minute, this is about how I'm teaching all the kids to read. And it started to resonate more and more with parents. And I think the continued reporting, especially with Sold a Story, really resonated with a lot of parents mm-hmm. who don't have kids who are struggling with reading, but are still like, well, wait, why is my kid being taught to read this way? Mm-hmm. And they saw it during COVID too. Yes, like, that, that was a big deal. That was yeah. a big deal. So we can talk about the various I think there are some very big sort of pieces of the puzzle that you can identify and put together and be like, oh, this is why we're talking about this so much right now in 2023. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I mentioned before we went on the air that so many teachers I've talked to, it was around 2020 that all of this, because they had some different amounts of time to dig into this when they weren't actually in the classroom. And this is when they discovered a lot of your work and other things. And it started all to, all to make sense. Um, yeah. So, I mean, we... we I have one more thought, which is I think that hard words was the piece that started getting a lot of people sort of interested in this topic generally. And I think at a loss for words was the one that really was challenging (laughs) for a lot of (laughs) teachers in particular, right? Mm -hmm. So I even think a lot of teachers could listen to hard words and, you know, be like, uh, uh, you know, have a few moments of reflection and pause, but at a loss for words that really sort of identified that those word reading strategies, because as you said in a blog, I think you said something to the effect of balanced literacy has lots of definitions, but find me a balanced literacy teacher who does not teach kids to do things like look at the first letter, look at a picture, think of nothing that makes sense and use sounding out as a last resort. Mm -hmm. Find me a balanced literacy teacher who doesn't do that because I haven't found one. I don't know if you found one, but no, I don't think I have. (laughs) That's what I started to realize is that's such a core idea. It's so foundational here. And so many of the other things that are part of balanced literacy rest in some way on some sort of 
uh, on that idea or a cousin of that idea. <laughs> so 2019 at a loss for words was the thing that I think started to freak a lot of people out. Yes, um, because it was attacking the foundation. Yeah. Um, because that's what I, I really feel that the, the um, when people join the science of, or join the science, that's not what I mean, but when people um, become interested in the science of reading, those, I don't know where to start. Like, I want to learn about this. And, I, and what I've started to tell people is it, it really, they're, they're afraid they have to relearn everything. Yeah. I say but they it's, don't necessarily. No. It but starts with an understanding. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It starts with the foundation, right? It starts with understanding how reading works. And if you, if you start with three queuing, then everything else, it just kind of falls apart. But if you understand how reading works and then you build on that, it, it all comes together and all makes sense. Yeah. Like we thought we knew what we were doing with balanced literacy, but so much of it is questions. Like, it just wasn't, there was a lot of fluff. We would certainly would not have called it that, but um, looking back, that's what I would say. I yeah. think I, maybe you've heard me say this before. I've shared this, but um, I was in a Facebook group asking for people to respond. Like, what, how do you, would you respond to this article? Because I was ready to um, write a response. Like I, I, what you wrote had to be wrong. Cause that's certainly not what I learned in grad school. And um, I was really surprised that a bunch of people were like, oh yeah, I'm not doing that anymore. I've read these mm. books, blah, blah, blah. Mm. And one person who, who was very big in the guided reading movement, top seller on TPT, that kind of thing. She mm. said, um, finding out that MSV, 3Qing, is bad for kids is like finding out that your only child is a serial killer, <laughs> which is so insane. But I really understood that because, um, because you hold it so close. And to find out that that could be wrong, you think about mm. all the students you've taught, like, what were you doing? Um, so that's, I had a I similar, that's... someone said to me, or maybe I saw this on Twitter. No, I, I think it was on Twitter. Uh, or someone sent me this as a message, I guess, on Twitter and saying, you know, discovering that three queuing isn't right is like walking into a church and realizing there's no God. It was, um, earth shattering. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so that, so tell me about the responses that you got to that article. Like, obviously there were a lot of positive, but of course there were negative. Like you must have to have a really thick skin. Like how did all that work? <laughs> I think my skin has gotten thicker. Uh, it's true. I have had to have a thick skin, but you know, I, I don't know. I, I guess, I don't know. Maybe I was sort of born to be a journalist. There's a way in which I can, a lot of it can sort of roll off because I can see where it's coming from. And I'm sort of empathetic in many cases from where it's coming so, from. So sometimes when people are sort of attacking me, I, 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 I get it. Like I, mm -hmm. I understand. And I've talked to enough teachers who have said the kinds of things that we were just talking about. I know how hard this is. So I have sort of empathy and sympathy. Um, and I guess, I mean, maybe this doesn't really sound right, but you know, at this point I really have read a lot. I'm not saying I know everything. I am not a researcher. I don't know everything. And I have tons of, there's like lots of questions that we can get to this to think about like, well, how do you really do this right? I think there's lots of stuff still to be figured out. And if people are kind of thinking like, oh, the science of reading, we got this. Like, no, I, I don't think so uh, at a number of levels, in, including just how to do things at scale. But I guess I started to get to a point where I realized my own knowledge of this stuff was getting sort of deep enough and wide enough that I, I started to feel pretty confident about it. And, and I, and I say that humbly because all of us need to be continuing to like question our own conclusions or assumptions or beliefs. Um, and I learn new things all the time. Um, but I guess I just got to a point where I was just a, the criticism, um, for the most part was, didn't bother me that much. Um, mm -hmm. and I learned from it. 
you know, I'm really mm-hmm. interested in reading the criticism. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a lot of criticism I read that I, and I try never, I try to, not to respond. Sometimes I do respond and, and, you know, we all have weaknesses. There's been occasions when I've responded and I think, oh, darn, shouldn't have done that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. you engage and get in a sort of argument with someone on Twitter or something, but, or whatever it's called now. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> too bad. <laughs> anyway. So, yeah, but I suppose you do have to have kind of a thick skin. It's a, it's a, it's a bang up. It's a, it's a messy, dirty, can be a very nasty world out there. Yeah. And it, there's just, I don't know when I, when I first, it's been a few years now, so I don't really remember exactly what happened or how I shared it. But when I started to understand all these things and realized there were some things on my website, I couldn't share anymore that people really liked <laughs> that had been on there for yeah. years. I had put an email, like I'm taking these down. You have until this amount of time, but here's why. And, um, I did have some angry people, um, basically tell me that I was getting on the science of reading train, like, like I was just doing it to make money uh, or that, um, that's what everybody else was doing. I was getting the bandwagon. As I said, you're yeah. just jumping on the bandwagon, like everybody else, bandwagon, or, um, someone told me the science of reading was a conspiracy theory. Mm-hmm. Um, there were just all kinds of, uh, yeah. or, you know, it's very disappointing to see that you've drunk the Kool-Aid too, you know, things like that. Um, right. and probably back then that was more upsetting to me than it would be now. Um, mm-hmm. but like you said, when you studied it enough to know that I feel that I understand this and I'm, I'm ready to learn what's the next thing. Um, it's less upsetting. Yeah. Well, and I think, I mean, Anna, I think someone like you is in among the toughest positions, right? Like you had a website, you had made part of your profession and your living off of some of these ideas. And that I think is the heart. Like when people ask me, why is there resistance? I think, well, if you're someone who has some sort of you didn't just do balanced literacy, but you had some skin in the game of promoting it, right? And and getting it out there. That's a that's difficult. That's and so I sort of applaud you for being willing to be like, I got to look at this, and I got to take some things down from my website, and I've got to explain why, and I have a responsibility to help people understand why I see some things differently. And I'm going to explain that. And you've, you know, you're a really good writer. You've done a great job explaining some of that stuff. I feel like you're a really good translator of some of this for the balanced literacy teachers. So I appreciate that. And I, you know, I recognize that that's one of the hardest categories of people to be in at this point is to want to say, whoops, I really made a mistake and I need to, um, uh, and I've been, I've been selling some things and I'm going to sell some, you know, I'm going to change it's tough. Oh, it was, it was very hard. I, like I I have told people too, that when I first learned about this and I get in the science of reading Facebook group, I could only be there for 10 minutes a day. I felt sick because it was so much new information. And, and I had a course all about teaching reading that I had written with someone else. It was like 10 modules, like 20 hours of video. And it was all balanced literacy. It was a balanced literacy course. And so I closed it for a year. I got a plaque that says trust and put it on my wall. I'm just going (laughs) to trust that God is going to help me figure this out this year because I don't know how to do this yet. And then I spent a whole year studying, um, researching and then, and then I put out a new version of the course and I feel good about that now, but, um, it was very scary. I'm, I'm so glad I'm past that. (laughs) Well, it was was scary and it was a huge amount of work too. Right. So I think one of the questions you wanted to talk about was resistance. So Mm -hmm. I think that's it too. I think people resist this because they, they've, it's, it's too challenging to open yourself to it. And because, because it's actually a lot of work once you realize like, Oh, so you had to rewrite your course. Many teachers have to rethink a lot of things about how they teach. (laughs) Um, It's hard. Yeah. And it's, it's fear too. Like, right. Like, I don't know if I can do this. Um, 
what if I don't get it right? Um, but yeah, yeah, and then also, oh, it's just really hard to accept that something you really was sure was right was wrong and that you were getting your information from the wrong place. Like I, I used to think that if I just read these people's books, then I'll know. But I didn't realize that. I don't know where they were getting it from, but it wasn't from the research. <laughs> I was just trusting them. And, and you've talked about that too. Like, yeah, you know, trusting personalities versus what the yeah. research studies say. Yeah. I don't know if you, I'm curious about this because one of the things that I hear from a lot of teachers is like a, a gut level feeling that maybe something wasn't quite right. Because at least for those teachers that are in the classroom, there are always a few students or maybe several students every year. And so much of the time, you know, they teachers blame themselves. Like, well, it's mm-hmm. me. I'm not good enough. I'm not doing balance literacy well enough. I just need to buy more books, spend my own money on professional development, take a week out of my summer to go to a workshop. And they tried hard, really, really hard. Um, and then what many teachers said to me is, well, I, I was blaming myself and they still, and, but, and still it wasn't working. And so they started to kind of blame the kids and blame the families, um, you know, and so, and they got level feeling something wasn't wrong. So I think that's one of the things that's so, I think that's actually one of the reasons that people can start to accept this so quickly, because even though it's challenging and difficult, there's like a, it makes a lot of sense. Like a lot of things click. Oh, right. That's why, that's why those kids were struggling. That's why that wasn't working. And it comes as a mixture. I mean, we have this a mixture of sort of sadness and grief, but also like relief yeah, and excitement and opportunity. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. oh, whoa, whoa, this is maybe, this is maybe part of the answer. This is maybe part of something I've been wait- looking for without knowing that it was there. <laughs> Or not even knowing I was looking for it exactly. Yes, that is all true. I think one thing when I would have some kids who struggled, there was two parts to it. One was, well, they just need more practice with their leveled books. Like we just got to do more of it. And the other thing was, I think I felt like there was this information that wasn't for me. It was for the specialist, like the person who understands dyslexia. Like that was beyond what I could understand. Like I didn't realize that that's, any teacher could understand that. It's not that complicated. Um, but I, yeah. I just didn't. I just thought, well, that's you'll just need to get them tested. I, I yes. wouldn't know what to do. Right. And then, um, right. I've heard which, that too. Very much becomes a thing. Well, that okay. Well, that special ed will deal with that. The interventionist will deal with that. That's yeah. Uh, and, and you know, and the classroom teacher has you know twenty five or thirty other kids there, so it's kind of a sensible response. Yeah, and there's there's just so much to understanding how to do proper assessment. So many things we could talk about, but yeah. and then the other thing you said about how. Um, you know, you people talk about learning about the science of reading after being a balanced literacy teacher. It feels like you sort of go through the stages of grief. But the last stage of grief is acceptance. But in this one, it's excitement because <laughs> it really That's does exciting. get you there. You know, like it is. It's so exciting. And I had um, for years thinking I'd like to go get more continuing education. I don't know what, what I should do. And then um, once I learned about this and I went to Mount St. Joseph and got their science of reading grad certificate because I was just... I just couldn't wait. And I still feel that way. There's just so much more to learn. I, I, I just keep learning more as much as I can. So what, you know, you, you've been to it, you've been a speaker all over the place. Um, and then of course, you, I'm sure you've had lots of emails and things from people. What, what do you think it takes for a school or a district to make a shift? You know, it's so interesting. I get asked this question a lot and I, I very, like, I'm not 
an educator. I am not a school district leader. I'm not a policymaker. So in some, in some ways, my answer is like, I, I don't really know. Like, that's yeah. not really what I know. And then, you know, sometimes I, I answer the question because people ask it. And then I think, oh, geez, Emily, you shouldn't have answered that one. What do you know? Mm-hmm. You know, it's sort of out of my lane. So I guess the only thing I can talk about is sort of what I, you know, what I'm learning from other people along the way. What does it take? Um, and I have to say that that's actually, you know, as a journalist, I'm hoping maybe there'll be a season two of Sold a Story. And I feel like a big question of season two of Sold a Story will be like, okay, so what's working? What's yeah. not and why? How do you take this stuff to scale? This is hard. Like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, superintendents and principals and state senators have their jobs that because oh, those are different jobs. <laughs> it takes different <laughs> expertise. Getting this stuff to scale is hard. And, you know, one of the things that I'm thinking more and more about, and I don't know if you're thinking about this, but... I do think the more and more you investigate this question of reading and how to teach it and you get into some of the importance of sort of explicit instruction, direct instruction, it raises lots of questions about how lots of things are taught Yes, in mm-hmm. elementary school and older. And really getting this reading stuff right, of course, is going to take a rethinking of a lot of the other elements of education. Just, I mean, I've really been focused on how are little kids at the beginning of learning to read being taught how to read the words. Mm -hmm. That is a teeny little part of what it takes to be a truly literate and educated person, which requires you to have good reading skills, requires you to get those word reading skills down, but requires so much more stuff to happen in your education and in your life. And I think a lot of American schools need to look themselves in the mirror about what they're doing in a lot of areas, what they're doing mm-hmm. to help the struggling readers when they're older, what they're doing when they're teaching science and social studies and all and math, how they're teaching it, what they're teaching. And of course, all of that gets us into potentially contentious questions. Think about the time mm-hmm. that we live in. I think one of the reasons that in the United States of America, we have sort of taken a pass on too much saying, well, here's what kids need to learn. Here's the what of it. Here's the stuff. Here's Mm -hmm. the knowledge they need to know. Because that gets us right to value questions and political Mm -hmm. questions, but questions that can easily become politicized and that are becoming politicized. I know, just like phonics. Right now, (laughs) all the time. Yes. So this is difficult stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. And so again, you know, (laughs) this is the job of the policymakers and the school leaders, and they have a hard job. Yeah. And for the for the regular classroom teacher, I think one thing to do is share your articles. You know, maybe can we sit and talk about this? That was what it did for me. Mm -hmm. Um, Because especially when you introduced when you interviewed Margaret Goldberg, like that was really what cinched it for me. Like, oh, she talked to a teacher. Bummer. (laughs) Like now I have to really pay attention. Um, And that was just super interesting the way she had uh, taught some kids to read using three cueing and some with. Yeah. Uh, nowadays it'd be really hard to do a study like that because we know how bad that would be. <laughs> we, yeah. So we don't want to damage any kids. She, she, yeah. Um, but she Margaret's amazing too. If people on the podcast don't know Margaret, but she's continued to be someone who I learn from all the time and she's got a great website and a blog and it's very insightful as you are on the kind of journey from being a balanced literacy teacher to learning how to do it differently. Yes, I really look up to her. In fact, I, I put her interview I gave with her last year at the beginning of this series because she's such a good example of someone who 
can speak about this in a kind and loving way, which is hard to do. Once you start to feel passionate about it, it's hard to be patient with people who aren't as far as you are. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think it's no, good for us to remember a- we started somewhere. Totally. And that's an element of all this, right? Because the stakes are high. And we know that when once you do know this stuff, people get passionate about it and they see the consequences when kids aren't being taught well. The consequences are high. So when you're a teacher, and I think especially when you're a parent, oh, and especially if you're a teacher who's a parent of a struggling reader. Yes. You, you can't look away from this. And when other people resist it, you feel the consequences of that. So there's an urgency. So I think, I think people who are, so I take that with a grain of salt too. You know, I see real anger from the sort of science of reading side on social media, but I try Mm -hmm. to be empathetic about that too. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. I get it. I get it. But everyone also at the end of the day needs to take a big old deep breath and be like, all right, let's, what's the goal here? Yeah. (laughs) The Mm -hmm. goal is to help more kids be better readers And there's a lot of work to do here. So, you know, how do we work together? Not in a, how do we work together kind of Pollyanna kind of way? Like, Oh, we can just do a little bit of everything. Cause I think that's sort of how we got where we are today. Yeah. I think balance literacy was trying to be sort of a truce, but it wasn't, it wasn't a truce based on the best evidence. Um, and there was, there were really like fundamental problems with balanced literacy. And if you said, if you, as you have said many times, I mean, a balanced literacy teacher is not doing everything wrong and comes to this with the greatest of intentions, but really needs to understand the foundation of balanced literacy was really faulty. And we've right. got to uh, acknowledge that and um, fix it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for all that you've done and continue to do. Is there anything else you want to share with us, future projects or anything you're, you're open to discussing or places you'll be speaking? Oh, goodness gracious. I don't know. We could probably talk forever. (laughs) Um, But uh, no, I mean, I love, I'm assuming this is going out to an audience of a lot of teachers and I am just like so uh, grateful to teachers for the work they do because I recognize how hard this is. Actually, I've sort of been trying to learn something about how to help kids learn to read and then maybe Mm going to be tutoring some kids and man, is it hard. Margaret's helping me (laughs) and it's hard stuff. So um you know, I think this is difficult for teachers because teachers have hard jobs and they're not appreciated enough and not paid well enough. And they got to do a lot of other things besides teaching kids how to read. And so, you know, bless all of you for doing the hard work and staying in the profession. Ditto. I agree hundred <laughs> percent. I always say that a day of, uh, even when my kids were younger, so now they're, our youngest is seven, but when a bunch of them are really small, I still felt less tired after a day with all six of them than a day in the, in the, <laughs> the classroom. Oh, yeah. Sure. Teaching first and second grade. They, they have a lot of energy and there's just a lot of decisions you have to make every day. So think about that people. If you're not a teacher, same thing. I was so exhausted with just two children and <laughs> I can't even imagine how exhausting it would be to have 25. <laughs> yeah. It takes special patience and love to, yeah. to do that day after day. Yeah. Well, thank you again. And um, I, I can't wait to share this with teachers and, and uh, help them give them more tools to share because all of your work is, is excellent for starting conversations. Thank you. It's great to talk to you. Thanks for having me. You can find the show notes for today's episode at themeasuredmom.com forward slash episode 140. There I will share links to all of Emily's work as well as many other podcasts where she's been a guest and maybe if I can find them, some presentations on YouTube because I know you'll want to keep learning from her. Thanks so much for listening and I'll talk to you again next time. That's all for this episode of Triple R Teaching. For more educational resources, visit Anna at her home base, themeasuredmom.com, and join our teaching community.
We look forward to helping you reflect, refine, and recharge on the next episode of Triple R Teaching.